So I was able to do one race that qualified for both UTMB and Western States. If you don't run those cutoffs, you're out of the race. You don't have 46 hours to just kind of run 100 miles. You have to break those those up into cutoffs and sections. That was Andrew Messina, and this is episode 117 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Andrew Messina is a trail ultra runner from Middletown, New Jersey, where he lives with his wife and two children. He owns and operates a small business called Tech Experts in New York City. Andrew started running in 2010 when he was somewhat overweight and discovered he had a kidney stone, realizing that his health was not something he could be proud of. This summer, Andrew became one of only 12 athletes to complete both Western States Endurance Run and Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc in the same year. Of those 12 athletes, five were elite and seven were non-elite, and he was the only person from New Jersey. I met Andrew back in 2019 at Tahoe Rim Trail Endurance Run. After some shared pre-race french fries and a few miles on the course, we both realized we had lots in common, the least of which was a dream to run UTMB. We had Marianne Hogan on the show back in September when we talked about doing both races nine weeks apart from an elite perspective. And in this conversation, we talked about what Andrew's experience was like from a non-elite perspective. Regardless of what labels we give each other, accomplishing a double like Western States and UTMB in the same year is significant. And we think you will enjoy hearing the passion and energy in his voice as Andrew tells us the story of a summer we'll sure he'll never forget. So, Andrew, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast tonight. Welcome to Inspired Souls. Thank you for having me. Uh, we were just reminiscing a little bit before we started recording, and I was commenting on how amazing our running community is. I'm just going to tell a little background um, about how... I met Andrew and how he even came on my radar in the first place. It was way back now, three years ago, 2019, we were at the Tahoe 100. Tahoe Endurance, what is it? Tahoe T-E-T. Tahoe Rim Trail. Rim Trail Endurance Run. T-R-T, yes. T-R-T-E-R, yes. Um, In July of 2019. And we were at the pre-race kind of get together uh, at a pub on the Thursday night. And I sat down at a picnic table um, and right there, right beside me happened to be Andrew. And ironically enough, (laughs) on the other side of the table for me was Trina Chilino, who we happened to have on the podcast a while back. So um, Andrew and I started chatting. We ended up running the first, I don't know, maybe half hour of the race together. Um, And then (laughs) I'll never forget it, Andrew. (laughs) You finished not far behind me, but you did finish slightly after me. And I remember sitting there at the finish line, you know, licking my wounds, uh, waiting for the award ceremony. This is now, you know, like 30, I don't know, what, 33 hours later or something. Yes. Uh, Sunday afternoon in the heat. And Andrew comes across the finish line. And I'm like, oh, you're going to sit down? You're going to have a taco? Nope. Going to grab my taco to go. He jumped in the lake. And then he hit the road to the airport to take a red eye home to New York or to New Jersey or yeah. yeah. And I was like, that has got to be the most badass, hardcore (laughs) thing I have ever seen. Finish a hundred miler, grab a taco, jump in the lake. I felt sorry for the person next to you on that airplane. Like, oh my God. (laughs) So follow up story. And I tell this to my friends all the time. After I left you, I jumped in the car and I drove to the airport. I got to the airport in time. But I stunk. Like, I was filthy, <laughs> dirty. And I knew if I got onto that plane, I was getting kicked off. Like, they, they would think a homeless person would be sitting next to them. So I drove around and I found, like, a Quinta hotel, a motel. I walked up to the house cleaning service and I said, hey, if I give you $40, can I just shower? Can I just – I, I promise. I, I just – I'm not going to sleep down. I'm not going to do anything. I just want to shower. She said, okay, go to the car, come back. Just say you forgot your room key. I did. I showered. And my gosh, that that water was filthy. Like, I washed a bee out of my hair. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Well, you've ruined my image of you flying back and making everybody around you suffer. But that's still very courteous of you to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
So anyways, uh, Andrew has now, since I've, I've kind of followed you a little bit on Strava and I started to see some of this crazy training that was starting to happen and realized why, which we're, you know, we're definitely going to talk about a little bit more on this podcast. So before we get into the summer that was your 2022 uh, with your massive double experience, um, why don't you just give us a little bit of a background? Like who the heck is Andrew Messina? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, Andrew Messina, uh, I'm from Middletown, New Jersey. My work schedule is I own and operate a small business in New York City uh, called Tech Experts. I have a very awesome team that I work with and I have a very flexible schedule so that I could do a lot of things outside of work as well as work really hard. Uh, I have a wife and two kids and I started running back in 2010 or so. I just was not, I was overweight, wasn't feeling good, very tired, lethargic and out of nowhere, I got a kidney stone and I never got a kidney stone in my life. And it just put me, I, I was in a curl, I was curled in a curled fetal position on the floor in my office and I was incapacitated. Went to the doctor, it was like a week long before I passed this kidney stone. And at that point I realized something's got to change. I mean, I was not morbidly obese, but it, I just, I just did not feel good about myself. So I slowly started working into running, trying to incorporate running and just exercise and just eating better into my life. And that's where that, that's where that my running experience started from there. Okay. So obviously you don't go from starting to run to lose some weight to running two of the biggest hundred milers in the world in one summer overnight. So what happened? Like, I assume you probably started running some road 5Ks, 10Ks. Like how did your running experience evolve in those first few years? So I started on a treadmill. I would run about for 20 minutes for a mile, mile and a half. And I was winded and I was tired, but all the variables were controlled. So I had my treadmill, I had my elevation, I had my speed, everything was beautiful, it's perfect. And I would just do that over and over and over again. And then one day, uh, one day I talked to a friend, uh, David, and he's like, just go. He's like, why are you running in your basement on a treadmill? Just go outside and run. I'm like, yeah, but it's so nice and cozy down there. I have my water, everything's nice. It's like, just, just go. Just So that's when I started running and running outside. And I started slowly, one mile walking. Then I slowly started 5K. And I just, I graduated to just staying on the pavement, somewhat controlled and just taking it slow. So, okay, you started slow, you started running, you know, some run-walk combos, as everybody should start, slow. How did you start evolving into increased distances? Did you start doing some half marathons and some marathons, or did you get into trail running fairly shortly, early on? No, so I I kept it slow. I kept just increasing things and playing with different variables. I started doing some 5Ks and then some half marathons. I never really jumped into the marathon right away, but... In 2013, right before my son was born, I did my very first marathon and it went horrible. I mean, <laughs> so I just started, I didn't know how to do the distance. I didn't know fueling. Um, my legs weren't ready. So as I was running, I, my IT band start to start, would always start to aggravate it, start getting aggravated. So it's embarrassing to say, but I had to get like a, I called it a garter belt. <laughs> so you have to get this thing that sits around around your leg and it kind of keeps the IT, IT band in place so that when you're running, it's not doing this. And I ran the marathon and then I just kept throwing down goose. Like I was maybe mile 23 and I would just suck down goose, goose. And they were, I remember them specifically to this day. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> they were chocolate raspberry. And what happened was I would suck down the goo, but I, I just wasn't feeling it. So as I'm running in the marathon, I take the goo and then I put it in my pocket, but point it down and still open and half. <laughs> so, so needless to say, I finished the marathon in pain on the floor, legs up with, let's just call it goo on my leg. <laughs> I knew it was goo. I died. No one else did. <laughs> nope. Well, that's a great story. That's a great yeah. story. Okay. 
So which which marathon was this? Was it New York City? No, New Jersey Marathon. That's the nice thing about it. It was run really close to us. Yeah. Very easy to get to. Oh, oh so everyone that you knew saw the, the chocolate goo down your leg. <laughs> I yes. stopped crying. I'm laughing so hard. Oh, my God. <laughs> she is. You guys should oh, see her. Like, okay. I love making fun of myself, so it's fine. Oh, that was great. That was a great start. Okay. So let's like 10, well, you're now at like 12 years of running. There's a lot of history in there. Let's just jump forward to ultras. So at some point you started running ultras and you started qualifying for some of the big ones. Um, which takes us to where we're at today. How did that happen? Like, how did you fall in love with trail running and ultra running? And when did you decide, like, I'm going to start collecting tickets and start qualifying yeah. for all these different races, which is a half full-time job in itself, keeping track of all of that. So how did that all happen? So it was back in that same year. Once I finished that marathon, I just had an epiphany, like something is wrong. Like, this is not how I'm supposed to run these races. You're not supposed to be lying out on the floor with IT band problems and just incapacitated. So later that year, I ran my first 50K, four or five months after. And I loved it. It was on trails. It was around a lake. It was great. And the big thing I noticed was that as we were running the marathon, it was just very, uh, it was like running with horses. It's very quiet. All you hear is just like the, the pitter patter of people running with the legs. And it it's soothing, but I sometimes get my Gabby's on so I can, I can talk. So when I went to the ultras, I'm like, wow, wait, this is slow. And I can talk to people and this is great. I like this. So that's when I found my first experience with ultras with 50 K with the 50 K in 2013. And between 2013, I just started doing a little bit more and I just started training differently. And I realized when I went on the trails, every time I stepped foot on the trail, it was a different foot strike than on the, the road. So though that IT band, it literally went away. Every single problem I had just started to go away really quickly because I was using all these different muscles. Mm-hmm. So between that time of 2013 and say 2017, when I started going longer, um, I was experimenting on everything. I would put on sandals and run in uh, Luna sandals. Um, I would try different fuels. I would try different trails and rocks and dirt. So it gave me a lot of variability and I'm like, okay, I, it's either road or trail. And I kind of like this trail thing. So I'm going to stick with the trail thing and let's see where that goes. And I think it was back in 2016, I saw a video. I was just looking at ultra running videos and I came across UTMB, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc. It's a 100 miler that goes around Mont Blanc mountains in Chamonix, France, crossing three different countries. And you run across with cows and you see goats. And I'm like, I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want that. And that little moment, I still have those videos. I had a little moment that I had back in 2016, kind of put that focus, that, that finish line that I wanted to, to get to into perspective. And that's what I knew I was going to do no matter what it took. So UTMB came first in your dream bucket. Mm -hmm. Okay. Definitely. And at that point, the qualifying has since changed, but it was, I think, 15 points over two years and no more than three races you had to have, right? Correct. Yes. Um, and 100 milers are six points typically, and it kind of varied in distance. 100 Ks, maybe five points. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So did you start really intentionally planning your races and planning your seasons to start qualifying at that point? I did. And I intentionally, so starting in 2017... I ran my first ultra and it was, it was by accident. I put my name into a lottery for Umstead and it was full. So I just got on the wait list and they were just peeling through the wait list. I think Umstead starts April or May. So I put my name in the, in the lottery. And I remember specifically, I think it was like January or February of 2017. And I was watching the Super Bowl on TV and then I get an email and it's a congratulations. You're in Umstead. I'm like, yay. Wait, what? Oh <laughs> like, I got to run 100 miles? What did I just do? I'm like, all right, let me f- figure this out after the game. After the game, I sat down and thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm just going to do it. If I fail, I just fail. I, just try it. Let's see what happens. And when I say that, I'm going to do a buildup and I'm going to try my hardest. I'm not just going to give it a little bit of effort. 
Now, previous to this, how far was your longest ultra? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so back in 2016, I think it was November of 2016. That's when I was like, you know, when I started thinking about Upstead, 2016, I looked back. I'm like, you know, let me just try the let me try the distance. Let's let me see how far I could go. So in New Jersey, there's a, a race called uh, One Day at the Fair. And it's basically a one-mile track on pavement. And you just basically run that one mile for a duration. And it's it, it's pretty well known. It's pretty popular. So I said, this is perfect. Control Going back to what I was in 2010, yeah. controlled environment, flat, everything's great. Perfect training for an ultra. Just control the, everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I crashed and burned. Crashed and burned. It's so interesting to me because you seem kind of like a data guy and you like to control all the variables. I would think that that lends itself more to road running than it does to trail running. And yet you were so captivated by the trails and the variability and the people and the, you know, being able to talk to people and and all that. Like, have you ever gone back and revisited some of the shorter distances or run another marathon? Because it sounds also like you you had room for improvement there. Like, let's switch up the goose. Let's try a different (laughs) And not a chocolate one. Yes. Um, there, there was probably um, room for you to get better at that too. But did you ever go back? So I never. I, I would go back to the distance of twenty six. You know, twenty six mile, twenty six miles, five k. Um, I actually did a fun little challenge back in last year. Uh, I think it was Big Badger, but you have to do ten races of variable distances. So it's like five k, ten k, fifteen k, fifty k, fifty mile, hundred mile. There's about ten of them. I forgot them all. And you do each one, and then you add your time together, and it's all virtual. But it's virtual, but you have to go into real races. So I've done those, but I just don't seem to have the desire to go fast. Um, right. As crazy as it sounds, I would rather run for forty hours, fifty hours long and slow rather than run a fast 5k for 20 minutes and just be out of breath and winded. I mean, I'm not saying anything's wrong with it. That's just, yeah, no, no, no. We've heard that over and over and over again. And whereas I'm the opposite, give me a race where I feel like, (laughs) like I'm winded and gave it my all at the end. That's what I live for. Even a marathon to me is like, you know, the gun goes off and you're kind of like, not really running that fast, right? It's like, I don't like that. So I just couldn't imagine doing an ultra. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, I want to get into definitely very soon, uh, talking about both Western States and UTMB. Sure. But before we get there, you, you had to run a lot of qualifiers to get into both of these races. What are some of your highlights? What are some of your favorite races that you did? So whenever I start an ultra, I need to have a reason. Why am I doing this? Why am I going to an ultra? Why am I because it's a lot of time you have to commit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you don't have that backbone of a reason, the the entire experience is going to be horrible. So I'd probably say Vermont is one of my favorites. Tahoe Rim Trail, Zion was up there as well. Cruel Jewel was just brutal. And cool. that is, yeah, it was cruel. That was really hard. It lived up to the name. Yeah. A great race, but I, it's, it is a hard race. All right. So here we are, you know, in lottery season a year ago. And you at some point decided you were putting in for Western States too. I I figure why not? You've got all the qualifiers. (laughs) Is that kind of where you were at there? How, how invested were you in Western States? Was this also a high level bucket list race for you? Yeah. So this was number two on my list. And back in 2017, I made the decision, I'm going to put these two on my life calendar because these are not easy races to get into. So I started looking at Western States and started to determine what qualifiers do I need. And I found overlapping qualifiers with UTMB. So I was able to do one race that qualified for both UTMB and Western States. So I would do that. Cruel Jewel was also fortunate enough that they had Hard Rock too. So that was like a triple. So that was great. Okay. Yeah. So I would just keep on building up qualifiers and every year I would make it a point to run at least 200, 100 milers just to keep things going. But a lot of stuff in between, you know, 50 milers, 50 Ks running and stuff. So we had similar strategies, you and I, and I did the same thing, but actually secretly hoped I would never get into both races in the same year. (laughs) Um, and this happened to you. You got into your two dream bucket list races in the same year after a yes. couple of years of COVID. So obviously you couldn't not 
right? Yes. Like it was, right. Did, did it even cross your mind? So I got I got a little lucky. And one of the things was back in 2019, I applied for UTMB. And it, the rules were a little different than they are today. When you uh, applied to the lottery in 2019 and you missed, which I did, you would do again for 2020. And if you missed two years in a row, you would get you'd automatically get pulled into the lottery for the next year. Fortunately, in 2020, I got pulled and I got into the lottery for UTMB in 2020. So I knew I had this. So I was I was actually going to do UTMB in 2020 because of that successful lottery poll. Okay. Then yep. COVID hit, which was honestly the best, not the best thing for me, but for UTMB, it was great because once COVID canceled that race in 2020, UTMB reached out to everybody who was in that original lottery for 2020, and they gave us a three-year uh, three window to run UTMB any years you want. So I was able to run UTMB either, choose, choose one of the three, 2021, 2022, or 2023. Oh, okay. So I skipped 2021. I just didn't want to run it. Just coming off of COVID, I wanted the full UTMB experience. I didn't want a decaf version of UTMB. So I skipped 2021. So I kind of felt, okay, 2022 will be my UTMB year. And so that, that was kind of in the plans already for 2022. And then I went to a local Santa run with my wife here in Asbury Park. And I, I'm just, I was just getting tired of sitting in front of the, t the uh, YouTube and watching the Western States lottery <laughs> go through for two or three hours mm -hmm. and just not getting my name pulled. I'm like, ah, oh, sucks. I'm never going to get in. I just said, you know what? This year I'm going to try something different. I'm not watching it. I don't care. I'm not going to get in. I'm just going to go to this party, run this 5K, go out for a beer with my wife and just party, just get out. So I did that and then I come home and then my, my cell phone is buzzing and Facebook is going off and people just texting me like, congratulations. I'm like, it's a 5K. What's congratulations on what? It's, it's a Santa run. I mean, it's for charity. What, what are you congratulating me for? So they're like, I, I read the text. I'm like, oh. Western States? No, that's that's a mistake. So I, I look up and they're like, check out number 199 or whatever it was. I went to the video and sure enough, they called my name. And that's when I said, wait a minute, this is this is real. This is th this is not supposed to happen to me. I only have eight tickets. And that's when things started to settle in. Like, wait a minute, you, you had UTMB and I had some thinking to do. I had some what, what mm -hmm. do you want to do more, UTMB mm -hmm. or Western States? Okay. And that's when I said, go big or go home. Let's, let's, right. let's try it. I had some experience with stacking up and putting in two hundreds in a year. And they were always pretty close. They were maybe seven or eight weeks apart, which is about what UTMB is mm -hmm. from Western yeah. States. So it's yeah, about okay. eight, eight weeks. So I had some experience doing this, but never two different races such as western Completely states and different races right yeah. and, and so you found out that you got into utmb first and then you found out about western states second okay yeah. got it okay so i'm just trying to put myself in your shoes at that point like you find out you're like holy shit <laughs> like, i got yeah. a lot of work to do so what is the first thing that you did in preparation for those two big events so at that point i really it had to sink in that i'm I, do I, do you want to do these both, both of these races in the same year? Yeah. Every time I do a, a hundred miler, I call them hundos. I always need some sort of inspiration and, and something to look forward to. Right. And the song that I always dedicate to a hundo, which every hundo has got its own song for me. Uh, the song was Foo Fighters and it was um, Best of You. Okay. And so that song to me, the way I interpret that song is just, you need to give it the best, best, very best of yourself. Don't hold back. Don't leave anything to chance. If you're not, if you're not in shape, if you're not mentally ready for it, if you have blisters, don't put anything to chance. Take every single excuse away from yourself so you have nothing to hide behind it. So that if you go through the finish line and you fail on Western States and UTMB, you have nothing to hide. It's just you. You can't blame anything. You can't say, I, I was working too much. I was doing nothing. And that's a very vulnerable thing, right? To say, it's like, scary. this was my best. And 
if if you don't finish, it's on you, right? Exactly. And a lot of people won't put all that work in because of that vulnerability of just being like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not, you know, good enough or or whatever. It wasn't my day. But I, I think that's really courageous of you actually to yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. We actually talked a little bit about in our DNF episode that we did this summer about the little quits yes. too. And how sometimes you can actually orchestrate the DNF by allowing those little quits. And you're talking about the exact opposite. You were not yeah. going to allow there to be any of those. So there were absolutely no excuses. Yeah. Yes. Like that. Yeah. So basically go through and I, I, I'll explain a little bit more. It, it really happened in UTMB that I really dug in my toolbox and pulled in all of the tools and things that I learned on the other, uh, on the other qualifiers basically. But I had to make that decision of, do you want to go full on out or do you, Maybe just take it easy, just do one at a time, separate years. And so basically when I came to that decision, I had to reverse engineer and say, okay, you've made this decision that you want to do everything. No, there's nothing. There's nothing you're going to hold behind. How do I get to that point? And at that point, I said, first off, I've done all of these races, all of my hundreds with no pacer, no crew. I I just do it alone. I fly out there alone, run the race. You said you saw Kim. I run yeah, the race yeah. and I come back. And that, that's worked for me. And I, that's that's what I'm used to. And that that was one of the things I came across is like, and no coaching either. Yeah. So I, looking back at that decision, I looked at it and I said, maybe I should revisit that. Maybe I should revisit taking on a coach. Maybe I should think about the pacer and maybe I should think about the crew. So the first one easy decision I had to make was uh, I'm going to need a coach. You picked a pretty darn good person to choose as your coach, like AJW, the yes. Mr. Western States himself. Like you couldn't have picked somebody who knew more about that race. Absolutely. So, yeah. He was the, he, ironically, I met him at Bighorn, so we, uh, which I did the year before. I finished Bighorn. He finished Bighorn. He ran the race in Wyoming. And we're both sitting in the medical tent. And AJW and myself started talking for about 45 minutes and just chit-chatting back and forth. And so we traded numbers or uh, Facebook or something like that. And he was one of the guys that actually texted me or sent me a face- Facebook message saying, hey, congratulations, you're in Western Yay, States. Cool. I was like, all right, this is a sign. Like, yeah, you're my coach yeah. now. So. Well, and he lives on the East Coast, so he knows your environment. He knows what you, you know, what you're going to come up against living in New Jersey, trying to train for your, you know, a mountainous West Coast Mm -hmm. race. Um, Yeah, good point. For the people who aren't well-versed in the trail world as you two are, who is AJW? What's the big deal about him? (laughs) So Western States really started the whole 100-miler thing. So it is the most popular 100-miler out there, hands down. AJW ran it about 10 times. I think he came as high as second place. I think all of them were, uh, they were a silver buckle, which is uh, sub 24, which is outstanding. It's, it's what everybody looks for. He did that 10 times. He's very well known in the race. He knows, he knows every rock, stone, tree, trunk, root, everything. So to me, it was just a slam dunk to use him. And the amount of resource and knowledge that I knew I was going to collect from him, nothing was left to second chance. There was, yeah. So AJW is Andy Jones Wilkins. If you want to hear any of his infinite knowledge on Western States and the course, listen to Trail Runner Nation and some of his course previews and some of his course breakdowns. It's mind blowing. You're right. Like he knows the distance between trees and rocks in every section of that course. It's insane. Okay. So you hired a coach. And you started your training and that this, this is where I kind of, I think, yeah, I, I was watching, of course, uh, the lottery and I saw your name come up and I think it was only a couple people that I knew that got in. So I was really excited. Oh, I know that person. <laughs> um, and by the way, the lottery is happening again in five days from now and yes. I will have eight tickets in the draw. So this is a timely time, time for us to have the conversation. Um, Very good. Yeah. So you started doing some really creative training. So I'm actually wondering if we could go into, it's hard to talk about just one race without talking about the other, but I'm curious, did you really put them in a box? Did you train very specifically for States and then switch your training for UTMB? Or did you have both races in mind as you started building out the training plans for at least the early season? So AJW, and again, this is coming from somebody who really never had coaching. I, I, all these years, I've just basically wung it myself, figured it out. 
So AJW, what he said, we started back in January, uh, December, January to start training specifically for Western states. And it was pretty eye-opening how, what he was doing and where he was going and building things out. So he started out with uh, speed work and a lot of it was tempos, go to a track, run fast, which that's not me, but I'm like, fine. So I, we would, we would negotiate as far as what I would do and stuff like that. I'm like, look, I don't want to run the track. This is a, this is a mountain race. Why do you have to be running around a track? I said, trust me, it's going to pay off. Don't worry about it. So I'd run track once a week or so and run tempo runs and all this other stuff. And once February started to kick in, he had a 50K on, or we had, we had a 50K on the calendar every single month. So that every month, February was 50K, 50K race, not just training. There was training in between, but 50K, 50K, 50K. And they would get gradually harder and harder. So he then transitioned from speed work into going just, and I, this is the part I love that, that he tailored for me, is that instead of looking at it, there's three things I think when you're training, you look at uh, mileage, time, and vert for these types of races. For Western states, he had me specifically focus on time, time on my feet, then miles, and then vert at the very beginning. So I would just run and just just go for a two-hour run, go for a four-hour run. I don't care how many miles, just run. Just run to RPE levels. So I would just go by feel. I wouldn't even, I would have my watch on, but I really wouldn't know what I'm doing. I'm just running to this exertion rate. And so as, as February started to roll around, I did my first race in Feb Apple, um, met a bunch of friends there. And we slowly started to build up, didn't really build up vert. Vert was kind of secondary at this point. It was just basically let's focus going on hours, time, and then mileage. And Slowly that started to creep up. So it was, I think it started about eight hours a week with like 40 miles. And then it would creep up to like 50s, 50 miles with like 10 hours. And then the next month it would go up again to like 12 hours and 50, 60 miles. And then all the way towards the end, it was getting closer to like 70 or 80 miles a week with close to about 16 hours or so per week. And how did that compare to the way that you had trained yourself before? Had you ever done that much mileage before? So I would always look at variability. So I would always look at training as just, let me just throw a whole bunch of stuff in here and try it. Yeah, let me go for a mountain run. I've got UTMB. I have to focus on this. It was never structured and organized and laid out into a plan of like, we're going to gradually bring you up so that once you hit that plateau, you'll be ready. So I, I never really had that experience and that was pretty eye opening for me. I didn't, I didn't really realize that at the time. So it was actually pretty cool. Okay. Now I know you attended the Western States training camp, uh, as yes. part of your build and you're a huge fan of that training camp. When, when is it? It's a, roughly a month before. When is it? Yeah, it's about a month before. I cannot recommend that race more uh it's first off it's not a race it is three straight days on the western states course from mile 30 to 100 broken up into three days i think the first day is 20 miles 30 miles and 20 and they they start you they drop you off at one point they drive buses to the next where you park at a certain point they you you've you finish by your car then you drive away come back the next day but you actually get to run on the course. There's eight stations out there. It's almost like cheating. You're getting to test yourself on the actual course beforehand. I don't know any other race I could do that with. It was awesome. And the nice thing is I love meeting friends and Strava friends and just acquaintances. So when we went out there, I would met, there was like a group of us with the AG, AJW group, uh, Brittany Peterson, Theo, Dana, Gina, all these, all these people that we had out there. So we'd go out for drinks and we would just hang together, but it was great because it wasn't a race. Like when you start, they give you a band, you go to the finish line, they just cut your band. They don't care what time you finish. And they tell you, this is not a race. Just take it easy. It's just a little cruise. Absorb as much as you can from the experience, exactly. I imagine. So I got all of my photos out of the way. I got all of my, <laughs> my handshakes and friendships and Strava. I got everything. It was great. It was like, Everything I would have done during the race, I did during those three days. So I walked away. I'm like, 
this is great. I'm done. I, now all I have to do is just pin my ears back and run. I, I've never been able to do this. Okay. That's fascinating. Now, you mentioned that you'd never had a pacer before and you changed your mindset on that. I also know you met your pacer during the training camp. And I don't know, it was one of those um, hookups (laughs) on the trail that seemed to work for you. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So I came, I think it was day two. Me and this guy, we were just kind of running side by side a little bit. He would see me, I would see him, but there's a lot of people on the trail. So we, I think we got into Michigan, I think it was Michigan Bluff. And we're all at the aid station. I see this guy standing there. So they pour some sort of energy drink for him. And he drinks it. He's like, like, this is horrible. He's like, what is this? And then the whole aid station got really quiet. They're like, "Um, sir, that's goo. That's the goo energy drink. They're like, well, it tastes horrible. Don't don't serve that. They're like, "Um, sir, the founder of goo is standing right there. You can tell her yourself. (laughs) Oh, no. no. (laughs) So I'm like that's my pacer. <laughs> anyway, I, I didn't say that. I'm like, Hey, let's go run together. His name was Russ. He lives, I forgot one of the neighboring towns around Auburn, but we just started talking. We just kind of hit it off right away. And so the next night I'm like, Hey, um, what are you doing on the third day of this, this training run? Would you like to join me? Let's, let's talk a little bit more about pacing. So he joins me. I'm like, okay, here, here's my pacing sheet. Let's see how we do. Let's try it. He got me to that last station like faster than the pacing times that AGW gave me. Mm. So I'm like, you're, you're hired. This is great. But I, I know this from talking to a lot of friends. A lot of friends will pick pacers that are friends, but they're friends from a different area, geographic area. So, you know, I'm just going to grab pacers from New Jersey. Russ was actually from California. Not only did he know the entire terrain, he would tell me, okay, slow down. Don't, don't go fast because you've got a hill coming up here. Or he would push me and say, nope, just keep going. It's a little hill right now, but you're going to bomb in five minutes. So just keep it going. Mm-hmm. And he would just keep me going and keep the flow going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a really good energy during that uh, day three of the Western States training run. And I'm like, you got the job. This is, this is awesome. Great. So why was he doing the training camp if he wasn't running the race himself? Just for fun? Yeah, he was just doing it for fun. Uh, I, I don't even think, I don't even think he wanted to do Western States. He just, <laughs> it was he just there. likes the social life, eh? That's amazing. Okay. So you said that this was about a week or a month in advance of the Western States race. So you got a really good preview of the course there and, and maybe we can just kind of skip ahead to the race. Like how did it go for you? Was it what you expected? How did Russ do <laughs> pacing you uh, through those final 30 miles or so? So everything started uh, pretty quickly and you, you're standing at the start line and you realize this is a big moment. Like this is one of those moments I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. And we start up the race and it's so anticlimactic to every other race I've been to, because once you start up this, it's called escarpment. It is probably uh, three miles of just up a ski slope and it's not a trail. It's literally just a ski slope. So it's like, ready, set, go and walk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're just yeah. walking up the hill with everybody else. But once you're once you kind of make some turns and you see the lake and once you start seeing the sun come up and and the beauty of the back of the course, that's when you start to realize, okay, this is Western States. Now we're starting to get into it. And then you crest escarpment. Once you hit escarpment, now you're just kind of going a little downhill, up, down, up, down. And that's when your race really starts. That's when you can kind of open up your legs and kind of get the feel of what this is like. This reminds me a lot of the snow to surf race on Vancouver Island in Comox. It starts with a downhill ski. It's a relay race, but the skiers have to climb half the mountain in their ski boots first before they clip into the skis that they left at the top and then ski down. And part of the rationale with that is quite ingenious is to spread everybody out. So you don't have this mass start with hundreds of skiers all like (laughs) running into each other. (laughs) And I wonder, I'm sure, I don't know if that was part of the design of the course, but a natural byproduct of that is that kind of a start would spread people out so you didn't have hundreds of people hitting single track all at the same time yeah okay but this part of the course was new for you right you didn't see the first 30 miles of the course very very new and so i remember from previous training specifically tahoe rim trail that 
at elevation, I start to slow down. So about 8,000 dip, probably 8,000 to 9,000, 10,000. That's when I start to feel the effects of elevation. I'd say the best way I feel it, the best way to tell that I, that's happening is that I get tired, which is ironic because of course you're getting tired during a race, but this is just this energy soaking tiredness that came across me. So as I hit escarpment, I started to feel that, okay, this is elevation. I know this. I just got to tough this out. And that's when I kind of slowed down and I fell off a little bit of your pace. Now, the gold standard of Western states is a silver buckle, which is less than 24 hours. Everybody I spoke to, everybody I know there, they always try to go for a silver buckle. And that was myself included. That was a lot of people's goal up there. And I still think anybody trying to go for the race, go big and just, just have plan B. But I have plan B and plan C. So my plan A was go for under 24 hours. Plan B is I wanted to finish around under 29 hours, 25 to 29 hours. And then plan C was finished at 29 to 30 hours. And the reason is that last hour of the race is very stressful. It's called the golden hour. And that is the time of the race. Everybody is coming in and it is very stressful. Uh, so I kind of said to myself, that's my plan B. I don't want to be in that golden hour. And I told that to Russ. I'm like, I, I want to avoid that golden hour. Nothing wrong with it. I respect it, but it's too stressful. It's going to mess up my, my race a bit. Mm -hmm. But as I'm going through escarpment, as, as I top the escarpment, it's the, the section, the race is broken up into three sections. That first section that I just hit between the escarpment and say mile 30, that's called the high country because it's all in elevation. And that's when I started to fatigue and slow down a little bit. Now I'm always a slow racer when it comes to starting these races. I always start off slow and then gradually get faster. But this was a little too early. So once I hit mile 30, I finally see Russ, my pacer. And he's not, he, he really can't pick me up at that point. But um, I saw him and he's like, he's like, oh, hey, what's going on? You, you're looking good. He's like, what happened? I'm like, oh, it's just the high country beat me up. So he's like, well, you're about 45 minutes off of 30 hour pace. Now, in an, in an ultra, I don't... My brain doesn't work too well. It gets a little fuzzy. So when he said 30, 45 minutes off of 30-hour pace, I thought he meant I had 45 minutes away from the cutoff. Oh, okay. So once he said that, I'm like, uh-oh, that bad? He's like, no, 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 Andrew, you're fine. I'm like, no, 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 you just said 45 minutes. I got to get out of here. So I'm, I'm chugging water. I'm eating food. I'm like, I got to go. He's like, And Russ is just standing there like, what did I say? Just what, What's wrong? Just slow down. So I got out of there as fast as I could. And from that point on, I hit the section, second section of the course, which is called the canyons. And the canyons, again, you're go, you start to slowly go down, but you're hitting these steep canyons, which are really steep climbs, but they're also hitting you with the sun. They're, Hot. they're yeah. It's basically an oven in those canyons. So as you go down on the bottom of the canyon, all that hot air just sits there. It's stagnant and you have to run in it. So... I'm going through these canyons and based off of my first Western States training run, I knew I had to prep for the canyons. And at that point, Western States training run, I started to prep a little bit more for elevation and climbing, not elevation, just climbing. So I started having my climbing legs pretty strong at that point. I started doing the canyons pretty well. Then I get to Michigan Bluff and that's still technically the canyons. And I see Andy AJW for the first time. He's like, you look great. He's like, you, you look so fresh. It looks like you're like a walk in the park. I'm like, I, I just really close the cutoffs. He's like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, just keep on going at the pace you're going and just don't worry about it. When I start getting slow in a race, I look at the cutoff time of the race and I look at my time and I just try to build a buffer between that. Mm -hmm. So I knew if I just kept building that buffer, I would be fine. Well, out of Michigan Bluff, I just kept running and I, I just wasn't thinking. And I just kept running straight and took a wrong turn. I ran an extra three miles on the course until I realized there's nobody around me. So I realized if I turned around and started running, maybe I'll see somebody running against me and I'll, I'll turn around. Nobody was running against me. I had to run 10 minutes back. Finally, I see people mm -hmm. running. Then I turned around, then I found the course, and then I, I continued to rest. So did that stress you out? It didn't slow me out. It kind of motivated me a little bit more to just put, you did a lot of work. You lost a lot of work. Let's go back to work. 
and just, just keep on grinding. But once I have that mentality, like I said, I'm slow at the beginning, towards the end, towards the middle, I could grind. And I knew that, yeah, I knew I had to grind and get to that next uh, point, which was mile 66, uh, Forest Hill. So at mile 66, I realized that is the, that is the part to run downhill. And I have downhill legs. So I ran as fast as I can going through. I knew the course very well, went through the river. Russ paced me beautifully. As we're getting to the final stretch, I knew my friend Nico was in front of me that we met a couple of days ago. And um, Russ and I kind of got out at mile 99. And Russ is like, catch Nico. So I put the jets on, raced to catch him. Missed him by a minute or so. But uh, it was all fun. We helped the... Yeah, so you see me sprinting around on some videos, sprinting around the the, the track and stuff. I, I just ripped my my vest off. I'm like, I don't need this, so I just basically ran. Um, I finished. I think it was twenty eight nineteen or something like that. That's awesome. That's great. And I saw your finish. Uh, yeah, thank you. to the feed. Uh, <laughs> pretty much the entire 20, 30 hours. But um, yeah, it was super exciting to see you finish. You had the biggest grin on your face. You were thank running you. so well, like so yeah. well. Um, so as much as I want to hear, and maybe we'll have to do a round two or something off air, but I want to hear even more details about that race. <laughs> um, there's another race to talk about. Yes. So, you know, less than two months later, you found yourself in, in France, in Chamonix. So right. I wanted to spend a little bit of time, you know, obviously you celebrated, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was States, you got your buckle, but then what happened then? Like, did, how much recovery time did you take? When did you get back to work and what changed in your training in that inter-race period? So a lot of my training before States was 75% roads because, HAW said, run time, run mileage, just get those two in. Don't worry about too much with the vert. Once we get closer to states, start building up the vert. As I got closer to states, I would work my way up to like 8,000 vert, sorry, 8,000, 9,000 feet. And so I I had, going into states, I had about 8,000 feet per week ready to go. Once I got back from states, I think I took two days off. I mean, I flew back Monday morning, again, epic flying back. Back Monday morning. You get that shower? Yeah. (laughs) This one was uh, a garden hose shower, so it was a little bit of an upgrade. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I finished up, got home on a Monday, took Tuesday off, and then Wednesday I just went out for a run, run, walk, run, walk. So I did about five miles on Wednesday. Thursday I went back at it. I think I was like 10 miles. So that week after States, that Monday to Sunday, was about 30, 40 miles a week. So I started right away. And because I don't really look at the watch, I just go by feel. So I felt good. I felt ready to go into this. I know my protocol of how to get my muscles recovered. So I went straight into training. Then I had a conversation with AGW, and he's like, okay, we're going to change things up. Remember how we said time, mileage, vert? Throw that out the window. You're going to do vert time mileage. He's like, I don't care about mileage. Everything you do is vert. And you're just (laughs) going to go trails. And this is where we started to see hill repeat after hill repeat after hill repeat on your straw. (laughs) Yes. So I live in Pancake Flat, New Jersey, right off the shore. About Some of my runs that we go with our friends, Seabright 10, they are five feet away from the ocean. That's how low we are. There's a 175 foot hill. That was my hill repeat. It was so tough. So I would just, I would do hill repeats. Um, I also fortunate enough about two hours away, I live next to a, or close to a ski slope. So that was another a thousand foot climb uh, of a mile, a half, two miles. Mm -hmm. And then also Mount Tammany, which is about three miles with about 1200 vert. So I had stuff to play with, but this now became a job because now I was putting in a lot more hours of just traveling to those ski slopes and putting time into, and I was running alone. Like I wouldn't really run with my friends because nobody's going to want to run up and down a hill 20 times. So right after we went from 8,000 for the first week, then 10, then 12, then 15. One of the staples of the training was vert week, which was Andy's idea. And that was run up the ski slope for six hours try to get six loops in, 
go to sleep for six, seven hours, go back to the ski slope, run another six hours, go back home, go to sleep, go back to the ski slope at 6 a.m. in the morning, 7 a.m., and then run four hours. That's your vert week. And it was brilliant, but it just knocked me out. It was really a lot of training. What did your wife think of all of this? God bless her. She she, <laughs> she took care of the kids. I she she holds the fort. I, I owe her a lot. <laughs> wow. And and how many weeks after Western States was this? Was this about a month after and a month before UTMB? So right kind of yes. right in the middle. So there yeah. was about eight weeks in between the ending of Western States and the beginning of it's like eight or nine weeks, I can't remember, uh, between UTMB and Western States. So as I'm training and doing all this vert, 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 and Andy's guiding me through it, it's just pushing me. He's like, more vert. More vert. If you go on a 20-mile run and you only do a 1,000 feet of climb, that's a recovery run. It's like it, there was no mercy. It was just vert, vert, vert. So Holy. three weeks before UTMB, I did my ski slope uh, repeats. Uh-huh. I come back in the car, and I am just spent, not sweating, just like I couldn't, I couldn't even walk or run around the hill anymore. I go back to the car. I called Andy and I'm like, I, I don't know what's wrong. I don't have the energy. My mind is mush and my, my legs are shot. He's like, Oh, you're kind of overtrained. He's like, you're either overtrained or just right at the edge of, of overtraining. I'm like, I, I, I never did this before. What, what the heck is happening? He's like, look, just, we got three weeks. We'll, we'll recover. So after I hung up with him, I was driving home and as I'm listening to my playlist, this song comes on and it was uh, Florence and the Machine, Dog Days Are Over. Oh, and yeah. As I'm listening to the song, it just starts off like very gentle and comforting and very soothing. And I hear this song and I'm like, wow, the dog days are over. Like the dog days of training are done. It's done. I don't have to worry about the ski slope anymore. I don't have to worry about vert. I could just focus now on the actual race. This is done in the bank. Mm-hmm. So that was that I was able to kind of switch mentally and say, just mm-hmm. put it all out of your mind. Now I could just go for flat runs, recovery runs, just get my body peeled up back to where it's ready to race. Right. So I did that. And that's when I started diving into the mental aspect of just prepping for this race. As much as, as popular as UTMB is, there's not a lot of research on it. So I, I created a 40-page document for myself. I call them dossiers. Which you 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 kindly shared with us. And I'm yeah. going to save for the day that I go to UTMB. It's very helpful. <laughs> it took me 40 hours to write that. Like I would, I would take this oh GPX file from the race. With the, every race has got a GPX profile, like a Google Maps. They yeah, give you that right. profile. I would load that profile up into Strava and mark and look at, okay, this is a section of climbing. This is a section of descent there. This is exposed. If lightning comes, watch out. So I wrote this 40 page manual for myself. No, not for anybody else. And that's what I use during the race. That's what I use as my mental prep. Okay. So would you say that the, the flipping the, how you thought about the training in terms of like the miles and the time on the feet and the vert for Western States and then completely flipping that around. Was that the biggest change to your training that, that happened in those eight weeks? And now you're starting to talk about kind of what you did on the mental side. Was there anything else that was different? I would say a lot of it was just, what do you do when things go wrong? So with Western States, there's a lot of aid stations in between. We could put your stuff in different spots and, you have a lot of variability, you have a lot of options. UTMB is the exact opposite. You have one bag that you put at mile 50, and that's everything that you want to put there. There's nothing else that you can put out the course. Everything is, has to be in your back. So before Western States, by the way, Western States doesn't allow hiking poles. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a no-pole race. So no poles. So now I switched from no poles to a, oh, to yes. a race of UTMB where you absolutely need poles. So I started training more with poles. Um, what I do is if you, if I think of one thing that could go wrong, I want to figure out another five things of how I could resolve it. So I would not only, I trained with no poles. Now let me train with one pole. What happens if I break my pole? Ooh. So I would go up hill repeats with one pole and it was awful. I'm like, okay, Brilliant. I can't do that. I got to make sure I have poles. So I gave some poles to my wife to bring just in case. Hmm. Um, 
So everything that I went through, if I had blisters, what could I do to avoid those blisters? Uh, go through and just troubleshoot everything in the race. So that when race time comes, when race time came, I was prepared mm-hmm. mentally because I had my dossier, but I was also getting back my physical and physical strength to get ready for that race. Wow. This is so revealing. I find it very interesting to compare and contrast as we kind of mentioned in the intro, you're one of very few people on the planet that have done both races this year in the same year. And, you know, five of the 12 were elite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, Marianne Hogan actually spoke a little bit about some similarities, how she flipped her training, you know, in that interrace period to be all about more hiking, more vert, less mm-hmm. running. Um, mm-hmm. You did the same thing, but you had to fill in a lot of those extra blanks, right? Um, you had a lot of experience. And I think that's one thing that really served you well is the amount of time it took you to get into these races, you know, naturally provided you with a shitload of experience. Yeah, um, yeah. But you're also, your personality, it's pretty obvious. You're a pit bull and you just <laughs> won't leave any stone unturned, which largely probably led to your success. So, yeah. you know, we, we could keep you here all day, but let's, let's jump forward. I want to spend just a few minutes on actually your experience at UTMB. Was it what you expected? This was the race that got you into ultra in the first place. Yes. Did it disappoint? No, I mean, it was, it was definitely work. So when I started, you have to stay disciplined of just, this is the time you need to make these cut. Talk to a lot of people and you tell them I have to run hundred miles in 46 hours. No, you don't. You have to run 30 miles in like six hours or seven. I forgot what the cutoff time. If you don't run those cutoffs, you're out of the race. It, you don't have 46 hours to just kind of run hundred miles. You have to break those, those up into yeah. cutoffs and sections. So that was one of the focuses, but, um, yeah, going through the race was just so surreal, but also very focused on the race. I wish I kind of took more pictures of it. I I know in 2020, there's the the term, the new normal, but as you're going through the race, you're just looking at all of this stuff, this mountains and snow and all this stuff. And you just, I kept thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'll remember this in my mind or I'll, I'll remember that. And I didn't, I, it was just a blur because I'm going through it so incredibly fast. The other thing as, as a trail runner, you probably appreciate when you're, when you're out in the field and you hear a cowbell, right? You get very <laughs> excited. You're like, yes. oh, cool. There's a cowbell. That, that means I'm station. Not a UTMB. Nope. So cowbell means there's a cow. Yeah. <laughs> you're the first person that has actually ever mentioned that in my circle. So. I, I couldn't believe that. I'm like, I'm like running and I'm like, where's this aid station? And I hear cow. I hear cowbells. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And then I'd see a cow and I'm like, great. I got another five miles left. So, <laughs> yeah. so just, I mean, to summarize it, once I hit Comier, which is mile 50, I got out of Comier. I ran out of water, made it to the top of the, the climb, the call. And I was dehydrated at that point. I stopped 20 times on the hill. Once I made it to the top, I had to take two liters of water and dump just pure salt in. And it does not taste like salt water. It tastes absolutely disgusting. But I knew I needed to fix my body. I was bad. So I drank that. I knew I would be fine, but I had to push. But then I couldn't do walk, run. I couldn't I couldn't run at all. So at that point, I called my wife and my daughter. I'm like, what do I do? They're like, eat everything in your bag, drink all your water, take a dirt nap for 10 minutes. I did that. I woke up, didn't help as much. And at that point I remembered my DNF from Ure mm-hmm. DNF 2021. And at that point I went through that experience of failure. What happened when I missed it? What, how did I feel afterwards? And I'm like, let's just redo this. Let's re let's review this entire experience right here in Italy. And let's see, let's see how you feel at the end. And at that point I realized like, you just fell into the DNF trap of quitting. I made it to that point and said, I'm going to keep on running this race. And as long as there's time left on the clock, I'm going to finish. There's no doubt about it. If I get to a point and I get cut off, that's out of my control. But I'm releasing my control of quitting and saying, I'm not doing this race anymore. If you cut me from the race, that's your decision. But if I cut myself, that's my decision. I don't want to make that decision. So I just kept running and I kept buffering time and just going further and further to see how far I could go. 
And I finished. I finished uh, 44, I think it was 44 hours um, and 19 minutes. I, I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> 44 to be hours honest, and 35 minutes. That's not the most important thing that we have talked about on the podcast. So yes. yeah, you, you accomplished something that only 12 other people this year, seven non-elite runners have done, is, is completing the ultimate double of UTMB and Western States in the same year. So funny story. So as I'm running UTMB, there's not a lot of chit chat as much as I made more friends in Western States than I could use in a lifetime. I made a ton of friends, good friendships. UTMB, I just literally spoke to about two people, one of which was Dave Stewart from Britain. So we started chatting, I think, in Italy someplace. And we're like, oh, what races have you done? Oh, I did Western States. Oh, that's funny. When? This year. Dave's like, wait a minute. I did it this year. I'm like, really? Oh, Okay. Um, what did you finish with? It's like, uh, 28 hours and 22 minutes. I'm like, Dave, that's three minutes past me that I, I finished at 28 hours and 19 minutes. You finished probably two places behind me. It's like, holy cow. And here we are two people in the middle of Italy that wow. didn't talk to anybody. So Dave also finished the race. I think he finished, I don't know. I think it was 45 hours or so, 45 hours and 13 minutes. So he finished 30 minutes after me. So. I could not believe out of the 12 people in the world, two of them literally met randomly in the middle of Italy on the course. Mm. I love how you said somewhere in Italy. I read it on the trail. It's so, so just like blase. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So uh, you've, you've told us some great stories. I love that story about you and Dave. That's so cool. But um, does anything else stand out when you think back on that epic double that you did this year? Does anything stand out as um, one of the greatest lessons that you learned in, in uh, completing this epic feat? I would say uh, winners never quit and quitters never win. If you start on these races, if you start on this process, which I encourage everybody to jump into these lotteries, these are great races, but use that qualification process that is naturally set up for UTMB and Western States. Use that as a training period. I've heard stories, Goggins is one that comes to mind. Goggins' first story about his first uh, desert solstice, I think he did, 24-hour run as much as he can. It sounds like a horrible experience. I mean, it's Goggins, so everything is... uh, He's, he's gone through a lot. He's, he's a brilliant, great, great ultra runner. But his first race was awful, awful, if you listen to it on YouTube. So don't let West – you could. You could still make Western States your first race. But for me, I wanted to learn everything from all the other races. And as I was running UTMB, I was seeing little bits of pieces in those races. Uh, the last climb on UTMB was like Roby Point going west up Western States. I saw some slick rock in UTMB, which was also in Zion. There was like little pine needles, which reminded me of Tahoe Rim Trail. So there's little bits of everything. But when you put it all together and you just, you look at the goal of where you want to go, and then you map out, how am I going to be there? And realize it may not take a year. It might take two, three, four, ten. But that's the point of these ultras. If you're in it for the longevity you're not in it just to kind of go for the one hour, uh, one year lotto and that's it. Okay. Well, um, you, oh, you blown my mind. Yeah. This, <laughs> this, this next year is going to be an exciting one regardless, but, uh, we'll see what happens in the lotteries for myself. I still have both of those races high on my bucket list and I will be reaching out to you, um, and <laughs> going back to your Strava and like, screenshotting <laughs> if, uh, if that happens, but you know, I think well done, Andrew, you, Thank you. you really, you committed first and foremost to the process and to yourself. And I think that that just was the foundation that you built on for the rest of the year. Um, you know, you got a great coach, you trusted your coach, um, and you did everything he asked you to do, even pushing to the point of overreaching a little bit there at the end, but it, it all worked out for you. So Final question here before we close. What's next for you? What's coming up? Like what can possibly top 2022 for you? (laughs) Uh, I want to get back into Western States like everybody else. And I'd like to go to UTMB again. So I starting from scratch. I got one ticket in the lottery, uh, which is coming up uh, shortly. And uh, UTMB, I got a, I I have some ticket. I, I actually have some tickets from Western States, but I think next year, 
I, as much as I don't want to do it, I think I want to do more uh, European trail mountain climbing runs. So I think mm. Valderon, which is Ooh, nice, hundred miles in Spain, uh, about thirty. Again, it's UTMB, but in Spain, so it's like thirty something thousand worth of climbing. Mm-hmm. And I might actually put a race in front of it in Croatia. I think it's uh, Istria one hundred as well. So mm. try to do those two and. The Valderon will be in July, so I'll hopefully have the rest of the summer off a little bit. All right, Andrew, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you. Your passion Same. just explodes through the <laughs> mic, and I think you're still probably high from your summer experience. Those endorphins will take a long time to wear <laughs> off. Um, if people want to follow along on your future escapades, where can they find you? Uh, best spot is Strava, um, Andrew Messina, all one word. Okay. And Facebook, too. I, I usually post stuff up there to Instagram, but that's all linked to Strava somehow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us and good luck with all the exciting things you have planned for 2023. As well as you. Good luck this weekend. Hope you get in.